0: Well, hey everyone, great to be with you today and happy St. Patrick's Day weekend. Karen wouldn't let me out of the house without something green on today, and that was all I could find. So, well, hey, let's begin with a little grammar lesson. Let's talk about metaphors. If you remember your high school English, a metaphor is a figure of speech that describes one thing in terms of another thing, but does so in a way that uh, makes it vivid and memorable. For instance, We could say, we got a lot of snow last week, depending on where you live. Or we could say, we got a blanket of snow last week. Now, both statements would be describing a lot of snow. But the second statement, using the metaphor, would bring to our imagination a soft and muffling snow that smoothed out the rough landscape. That metaphor wouldn't just tell us something about the snow. It would make us feel something about the snow. Metaphors are powerful. They paint pictures in our minds. See what I did there? Pictures that stick with us and actually shape our thought and feelings and behavior. Well, let's, let's try this. Would you say that life is an adventure, a battle, or a beach? If you think of life as an adventure, you'll go through life with a sense of expectancy, always ready for a wonderful surprise or a difficult challenge. If you see life as a battle, you'll go through life on the defensive or on the attack, always looking for a fight. If you think of life as a beach, you'll go through life looking for as much fun and sun as possible. But you get the idea. The metaphors we live by shape our belief and behavior in profound ways, whether we realize it or not. Well, Jesus understood this. Again and again, he turned to metaphors and similes to capture people's imagination, to help them grasp his mission and his message. He he used metaphors to describe the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed, he said. Starts small and becomes big. He used them to describe his enemies. You're like whitewashed tombs, he said meaning they look nice on the outside, but were dead on the inside. He used them to describe heaven. It's like a house with many rooms, suggesting that it's a place of comfort and belonging and relationship. But Jesus also used metaphors to describe himself. Seven times in the Gospel of John, he describes himself in terms of some other thing. A good shepherd, a true vine, the light of the world. And with each of these, he's telling us something different about himself. He's inviting us to use our imaginations, to turn these images over in our minds, to discover who he is and why he came and what his life was about. And those images, when we grasp them and embrace them, have the power to shape our lives and faith in profound and practical ways. If Jesus is the good shepherd... And we can trust him with our whole lives and even the life to come. If Jesus is the true vine, then our lives will bear good fruit if we remain in him. If Jesus is the light of the world, then our world is brighter when he's in it. These are metaphors we can live by. Well, today we're going to consider a fourth metaphor, another word picture that helps us understand Jesus and ourselves. This week, Jesus will tell us that he is the gate. I think we're going to be amazed at how much this simple metaphor can mean to our faith and to our daily lives and to our eternity. Now, this particular I am statement is embedded in another statement that we looked at back in week one from John chapter 10. In that larger section, Jesus begins and ends by describing himself as the good shepherd. Now, we had a great time exploring that metaphor, and and we'll actually revisit it a bit today. But in the middle of that teaching, he introduces another metaphor that reveals some other things about his identity and mission. So let's jump into the middle of John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, last time we explained that there were two kinds of sheepfolds in the ancient world. Sheepfolds in the village were permanent and substantial. They housed several flocks and were tended to by a porter or a gatekeeper. Sheepfolds in the field were temporary and makeshift, typically a a circle of rocks or branches woven together, sometimes with thorns on top to, to discourage predators. And the circle would have one opening, just wide enough for a sheep or two to pass through. At nightfall, the the shepherd would lead the sheep back to the fold and herd them in one by one. Then, when all the sheep were safely inside, the shepherd would sit or lay down right in the opening, making himself the gate or the door to keep the sheep in and predators out. So, as I tease this metaphor out in my mind, Asking, in what way is Jesus like a gate? Three thoughts came to my mind, and then at the last minute, a fourth. Uh, Let's just walk through them. The first thought that came to me was that a gate provides access. It provides entrance into a space or an experience that you couldn't get into otherwise. Uh, Picture a room with four walls but no door. It might be beautiful and comfortable on the inside, but without a door, you couldn't get in. In the same way, a, a circle of rocks or branches promised protection for the sheep, but without an opening, they couldn't get in. A gate is all about access, entrance into something. Well, the sheepfold that Jesus is referring to in this metaphor is the people of God, the life of God. Now, the metaphor would have been very familiar to his Jewish audience because because it appeared so often in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, They would likely have thought right away of a passage like Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So it's about access and entrance and belonging. If you live in a gated community, When you drive up to the gatehouse, all you have to do is look up at the attendant because he knows you. He waves you in with a smile because you belong there. You have access. A little further down in the chapter, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So he slips back into that shepherd metaphor again. But but the idea is the same, access, entrance, belonging. And the access is based on relationships. The relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, who's made himself a gate by lying down across that opening. I am the gate, he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. In the original language, it's even more emphatic with the through me coming first in the sentence. Sounds almost Yoda-like. Through me, if anyone enters, they will be saved. Don't miss what Jesus is saying in this metaphor. He's not just the gatekeeper. He's the gate itself, the door, the way in. And notice the whoever. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Everyone and anyone can enter into this sheepfold as long as they enter through him, through the gate. Now, Jesus is saying something very important here. Something that sets him apart from every other religious leader. Something that sets Christianity apart from most every other religion. Most religions have a founder. Moses, Muhammad, the Buddha, Confucius. But in those religions, salvation, entrance into whatever that religion promises, isn't based on a relationship with the founder. It's based on adherence to a creed, or conforming to a code of conduct, or participating in a set of rituals, or achieving a certain level of knowledge or enlightenment. Access to the life of the community is based on knowledge, or merit, or behavior. But that's not how it works with Jesus' sheepfold. Relationship is the way in. Knowing Jesus, belonging to Jesus, believing in Jesus, that's the way in. As long as you know him and are known by him, it doesn't really matter what else you know or have achieved or what you don't know or haven't achieved. He waves you in because he knows you. And Jesus will say a a similar thing a little bit later on in the gospel when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we'll talk about that I am statement in a couple of weeks, but but for now, notice that he doesn't say, this is the way, like a certain Mandalorian, for instance, uh, demanding adherence to some code. He says, I am the way, I am the gate, I am the door. It was a remarkable thing to say at the time, but it's just as remarkable today. It's very common today to hear people say, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, guess what? Neither did Jesus. He didn't call people to religious knowledge or ritual or behaviors. He didn't even call them to spirituality. He called them to himself. He is the way into the sheepfold, into the life of God. Uh, If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie yet, it's, it's still going strong in theaters, shattering everyone's expectations, getting a 99% favorability rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It tells the story of the Jesus People Movement back in the early 70s, one of the most formative religious awakenings in our country's history. And what strikes me about the movement is that it really was a Jesus revolution. It wasn't about church or religion. In fact, most church people wanted nothing to do with it. It was simply a movement of young people fascinated with Jesus and and transformed by what they described as personal encounters with him. So before we go any further, it's worth pausing to ask if you know Jesus. Have you had a personal encounter with him? Do you believe in him? Maybe you've been a church person your whole life, but you can't really say that you have a relationship with Christ. Or or maybe you're new to church or, or new to Grace Chapel. You're enjoying the services and the teaching and the community. That's great. But understand, it's not church that you need or Grace Chapel. It's Jesus. He is the gate. He provides access to the life of God and the community of faith. We'd love to tell you more about him and help you get to know him. So a gate provides access. The second thought this metaphor brings to mind is that a gate provides security, protection, safety. A gate or a door isn't just about who you let in. It's about who or what you keep out. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about what a dangerous place the wilderness was. Predators were always on the prowl. Wild animals, wolves, lions, bears, and bad people, rustlers and robbers. It's still a problem today. Tim Laniac tells the story of a shepherd in the Middle East who's had hundreds of sheep stolen in spite of metal gates and industrial padlocks. Well, the ancient shepherd would protect the sheep by sitting or lying down across the entrance. He was ready to fight anyone and anything that threatened the flock, basically saying to a would-be predator, over my dead body, The sheep knew they were safe when the shepherd was there, when the gate was in place. So so who are these thieves and robbers Jesus is talking about, these ones who came before him? Well, most likely he's talking about hypocritical religious leaders who were more interested in their own status and comfort than the safety and well-being of the sheep. But a few verses later, He refers to another thief, singular this time. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Well, who's he talking about here? Most likely, Satan, the enemy of our souls. A malign, evil presence that haunts humanity and lures us away from the shepherd's fold and into dark and destructive and lonely places. Well, Jesus isn't going to stand by and let that happen. He's not a passive gate. He's a living gate who will do whatever it takes to secure the safety of the flock. In the next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, now Jesus is using a metaphor within a metaphor when he refers to laying down his life for the sheep. He's using the image of a shepherd lying down across the opening of a sheep pen to describe the literal laying down of his life on the cross. He's saying he's prepared to die in order to protect his sheep, which, of course, is exactly what he did. I'm remembering a powerful illustration Pastor John used a few weeks ago. When he told the story of a a father in Syria who, when the recent earthquake brought their apartment building tumbling down on his family, he, he attempted to shelter his young son in his lap. When the rescue workers pulled the father's limp body from the rubble, they found the boy still in his lap, alive. His father had absorbed the crushing blows in his own body in order to save his son. In a similar way, when the enemy of our souls made a frontal assault on humanity, bringing down whatever evil was at his disposal, violence, injustice, falsehood, hypocrisy, envy, greed, hate, Jesus sheltered us with his outstretched arms Absorbed those deadly blows in his own body, he suffered the spiritual crushing weight of sin and death, even separation from his heavenly Father, so we wouldn't have to. Over my dead body, he said to the thief, and he meant it. The thing is, his body didn't stay dead. Days later, days later, he he rose from the rubble, promising that we could too if if we trusted in him. That's why Jesus could say a little later in this chapter, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. No one will snatch them from his hand. Once you have entered into that sheepfold, through faith in Jesus, the gate, you are in. Your place is secure. Nothing and no one can separate you from him. Now, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, it it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us, that, that physical or spiritual enemies won't come against us. They will. It's still a wilderness out there. We can get hurt. And physical death will catch up with all of us. But even that dark valley can't separate us from his presence and protection in this life and the life to come. I remember visiting with someone who was nearing the end of their earthly life, a wonderful Jesus follower. We got talking about heaven and and wondering what it would be like. And at one point he said, I hope I get there as if he was uncertain. What do you mean, you hope? I asked. You know, he said, I hope I qualify. Well, I leaned over and took hold of his hand and said, you know that qualifying has nothing to do with it. You're his child now and forever, and that's all there is to it. Well, he smiled a faint smile, a sheepish smile, we might say, as if to say, I know, pastor, I know. And the same is true for you if you have come to know and trust Jesus. If you have entered through the gate, your place is secure. You will always belong there. Nothing and no one can snatch you from the shepherd's hand. Now, now, Whenever we talk about Jesus as the gate or the way, it inevitably raises questions. It can sound narrow and and restrictive, as if entrance is limited to a certain kind of sheep and a small number of sheep. It's a common critique of Christianity, that it's too narrow, it's too exclusive. But, But notice a couple of things here in John 10. Notice, first of all, that the gate isn't designed to keep sheep out. It's designed to keep enemies out, those who want to hurt or destroy the sheep. The gate is open to as many sheep as want to come in. Remember what Jesus said, said, whoever enters through me will be saved. He's willing to grant access to anyone who asks. And then notice, later on in the conversation, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So who are these other sheep he's talking about? Well, most likely he's referring to Gentiles, people his Jewish listeners would have considered outside of God's love and purposes. Uh, They couldn't imagine such people being members of God's flock, uh, apart from the Jewish way of coming to God. But Jesus is telling them, and us, that his love and purposes are wider than we might realize, (laughs) And, and that we shouldn't be surprised someday to find some unexpected sheep in the fold. Because anyone and everyone who enters through Jesus will be saved. Yeah, but what about people who haven't heard of Jesus, you might ask? Who, who haven't had a chance to know him or call on him? Are they denied access simply because they haven't heard? Well, that's a complicated question that we don't have time to fully address, but, but a quick thought or two, since it kind of comes up here in this text. I mean, on the one hand, Jesus is very clear that he is the one who provides access to the life of God, to the kingdom. And he's also clear that his death on the cross, bearing the weight of the world's evil, secures that entrance. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. But is it possible, some have wondered, for a person to be saved through Jesus and his work on the cross, even if they've never heard of Jesus and his work on the cross? Uh, The great Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, ponders that possibility. He writes in his book, Mere Christianity, Here is another thing which used to puzzle me. Is it not frightfully unfair that this new life should be confined to people who have heard of Christ and been able to believe in him? But the truth is, God has not told us what his arrangements are about the other people. We do know that no man can be saved except through Christ. We do not know that only those who know him can be saved through him. In other words, could a person who's never heard of Jesus look to the heavens, to God as they know him, in faith and repentance, and receive the forgiveness and belonging that Jesus secured on the cross? Isn't that how Old Testament saints did it? Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Ruth. Abraham never heard of Jesus. But but he looked to God in humble faith. And God considered him righteous, the Scripture tells us, and called him his friend. So it's an interesting possibility And by the way, when we get to the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, a book written by this same author, John, we're told that there's a great multitude of people in heaven, greater than any person can count, from every tribe and nation and people and language. And when we come to the final chapters of Revelation, uh, we read about the holy city coming down from heaven to earth, and we're told... The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there shall be no night there. Now, what does that mean exactly? I don't know. But taking all of this together, it seems to me that Jesus and John are telling us that the gate of heaven swings wider than we might ever have imagined. Now, (laughs) to make a long answer longer here, (laughs) the bottom line is that we don't know what God's arrangements are for everyone, as Lewis points out. He hasn't told us that. What we do know, what he has told us, is that Jesus is the gate, the way. So, So we don't want to start pointing people towards other gates and speculative ways but neither do we want to start making pronouncement about who's in and who's out. That's not our call. He's the gate. So we'll keep pointing people toward him. So back to our metaphor. A gate provides access and a gate provides security, which means that a gate provides freedom. Freedom. Well, let's look at uh, one more time. at uh, at verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Notice that the gate isn't meant to confine the sheep or to limit them. It's meant to give them freedom to come and go, to venture out into the fields, knowing they not only have a safe place to return to at night, They have the presence of a shepherd with them wherever they go. That phrase, come in and go out, was a common biblical idiom that was used to describe everyday life and activity, live, work, play, all those things. So now we begin to understand why Jesus mixes his metaphors here, describing himself as both shepherd and gate. Because he's the gate, he provides access and security. Because he's the shepherd, he's always with them. Which means they have access and security wherever they go and whatever happens. So they're free now to venture out into the wilderness, even in search of green pastures and quiet waters. And if they should find themselves in Death's Valley or in the presence of enemies, they still have that access and security because Jesus, who is both gate and shepherd, is always with them. Only Jesus can mix metaphors and get away with it. It's brilliant. But to make sure we don't miss the point, Jesus says it plainly. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That phrase, life to the full, sometimes translated life more abundantly. And the word that we translate full or abundantly is the Greek word for surplus. It's the word that's used to describe the 12 baskets of leftovers at the feeding of the 5,000. It's not just enough, it's more than enough. (laughs) Do you see that the picture that Jesus is painting here? A good shepherd wants his sheep to flourish and sheep flourish when they know they're safe and secure (laughs) they begin to eat and drink what's good for them they rest when they need to and they move when they need to they live long they stay healthy they produce thick coats of wool and they produce more sheep and jesus wants us to flourish to venture out into the world with courage and confidence, knowing that, that he'll meet our deepest needs, that he'll guide us in right ways of living, that he'll protect us from evil, and that when the time is right, he'll lead us to our heavenly home. Think about a child who, who grows up in a happy, healthy home. From the time they're old enough to know anything, they know they are loved and delighted in. All through their growing up years, they have food on the table and a roof over their heads. They have parents who offer wisdom and safety and affirmation. Well, when that child comes of age, he or she feels free to, to venture out into the world, to try things, to go places, to meet people, to find and fulfill their unique calling. Because they know their love no matter what. They know they belong no matter who they're with. They know they have a home they can come back to anytime. And they know that if they should get in trouble, that home will come and find them and be with them forever. That's the kind of freedom children of God have. Freedom to work and play and love and learn and fail and succeed and live life to the full. Knowing that we are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, that's a metaphor you can live by. So, are you experiencing that kind of freedom? Are you one of God's children? If not, all you have to do is enter through the great gate. Come to Jesus just as you are, like a sheep in need of a shepherd. Whoever enters through me will be saved, he said. That means you. Because here's the fourth thing about a gate. It's so obvious I almost missed it. A gate is only good if you use it, right? A gate provides access, a gate provides security, and a gate provides freedom, but only if you use it only if you walk through it and discover what's waiting for you on the other side. So if you have never entered through the gate that is Jesus, don't spend another day wandering alone in the wilderness. Look to Jesus and let him wave you in. And if you've done that already, if your place is secure, if you know that you're one of his flock, (laughs) then start living like it. Go in and out and find pastures. Venture into the world with courage and confidence, because if Jesus is the gate, we are free to flourish in him. Now, I don't have a song for you this week, but I do have a poem. I came across it this week, and it It seems to capture all the goodness and beauty of of the metaphors we find here in John chapter 10. So let's just listen for a minute and then I'll close us in prayer. Loving shepherd of thy sheep, keep thy lamb in safety keep. Nothing can thy power withstand. None can pluck me from thy hand. I will bless thee every day, gladly all thy will obey, like thy blessed ones above, happy in thy perfect love. Loving shepherd ever near, teach thy lamb thy voice to hear. Suffer not my steps to stray from the straight and narrow way. Where thou leadest, I would go, walking in thy steps below till before my Father's throne I shall know as I am known. Thank you, Lord, for the words and images we've considered today. Thank you for the power and beauty of the Scriptures. And thank you for the promise of your presence and protection. Lord, if there are any lost sheep listening today, I pray they might look to you today and enter into life as it was meant to be lived. And I pray that all of us might go out from this time and this place to to live life to the full, knowing that we have a good shepherd. In his name we pray, amen.